chapter 11. While you're turning there, I'm going to turn to Matthew chapter 26 and read just one verse that is almost exactly the same wording, but at a different time. In Matthew 26 and verse 27, it says of Christ that he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. He gave thanks. Now, verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 11 And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Many years ago, a visitor was looking around St. Paul's Cathedral and seeing the many monuments that had been erected to the greatest people in in the British Empire. He, He asked the guide, Where is the monument? To the architect, and the guide took him to a slab where he was buried beneath, and inscribed on the wall were these words: "If you would see his monument, look about you." And you know, whenever we come to the Lord's table, that's the way that we ought to feel. When we come to the Lord's table, if we have been well instructed, if our hearts have been prepared. As we partake of the elements, we shouldn't need any further admonition. We, we shouldn't need any reminder. We shouldn't need a sermon because just the observance of the Lord's Supper is a sermon in itself. It is a proclamation, and that's the way that we need to, to think of it. And most certainly when we come to the Lord's table, it ought to be with grateful hearts. You know, as Christians, we ought to always be rejoicing. We've always got something to rejoice about. That's why the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. In other words, there's never a moment that we can't rejoice, but there are times whenever our gratitude ought to soar to extraordinary heights. And the observance of the Lord's Supper is one of those times, and I don't know, maybe sometimes we emphasize the seriousness of the supper to the point that we fail to see that it is also a time of rejoicing. Maybe we ought to think about Hebrews 12 and verse 2 where it talks about Christ endured the shame of the cross with what? With joy. In other words, it was not with a sire spirit. It was not reluctantly. But he endured the shame of the cross with joy in his heart. And so when we come to the Lord's table, it it ought to be with a, a spirit of gratitude. We've talked about the Lord's Supper as being a time of commemoration. We've talked about it being a proclamation. We've talked about it being a time of examination. But today, I want us to mainly focus on it being a time of thanksgiving. Whenever Jesus anticipated the cross, uh, and remember he lived every day of his life in the shadow of the cross, it didn't come as a surprise to him. And a lot of times we forget about the anticipatory suffering of Christ. In other words, anticipating what, what was coming. He knew in minute detail exactly what was going to happen, and yet it was with great joy in his heart 
that He faced the cross. And so I think then as we celebrate the cross, as we celebrate the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, that that it ought to be with joy. Certainly we are serious about it. There's no doubt about that. And there might even be a tear in our eye whenever we meditate upon the sacrifice that He made, but it's also with a song of joy in our heart as we celebrate the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me just mention three reasons tonight why we ought to approach the Lord's Supper with a thankful heart. First of all, because redemption proclaims love. Now remember, the Lord's Supper is a picture of the finished work of Christ in providing redemption. And redemption proclaims the love of God. You know, there are people that are so foolish as to question God's love. There are those that... You know, maybe they're going through a, a difficult time in their life and some bad things happen and they begin to think, why this? Why me? Why now? And, and, and they're confused. It might be someone, if you'd walk up and down the corridors of the hospital and go into the children's ward and look at those little crippled children or, or, or those with cancer and those going through uh, horrible suffering as a result of some illness, and and some would scratch their head and wonder how could a how could a God of love allow something like that to happen? For us to really regain our spiritual equilibrium, what we need to do is get our focus back on the cross, and because there, better than anywhere else in all of the world, we see that God. Loves us. God proved His love. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I was writing an article today. I'll be in a one of the morning manas before long. I'm not sure what day, but the title of the article was "The Greatest Giver," and that that's God. I don't need to tell you that. You already know that the greatest giver is God, and, and the greatest gift, of course is His Son. He gave heaven's best for the very worst on earth. So when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we need to remember that this is a a time of thanksgiving because in the redemption that Christ provided, it's a demonstration of God's love. So redemption proclaims love, but secondly, redemption provides life. Whenever Adam sinned, and you'll remember that God had warned him in the day that you eat thereof, you're going to die. And he did. He died spiritually. Now, we know he lived to be 930 years old. We know that. And eventually he died physically. But he died spiritually that day. He began to die physically, but he died spiritually at that moment because his spirit was separated from God as a result of sin. Now, because of his sin, then each and every one of us are born into this world with a sinful nature. The Bible says all of sin comes short of the glory of God. The Bible says in describing us as sinners that we are dead in trespasses and sin. So if we're dead, what do we need? We need life. We need life. And that is exactly what redemption provides. It proclaims love, but it provides life. 
Wouldn't it be a terrible thing if God, you know, just said, you know, I want to show you how much I love you, but it's not going to help you? You know, what good would that be? You know, it would be wonderful to for God to say that I love you, but God went beyond that, and He not only proclaimed His love, but He provides life. In John chapter number 6, Jesus, in verse number 53 Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat of the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and uh, and are dead, uh, he that eateth this bread shall live forever. Aren't you glad there is life, eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ? So it provides life, it proclaims love, but thirdly, redemption procures liberty. Procures liberty. You see, redemption affects us now as well as in eternity. I'm so glad that when God saved me, that He didn't say, Now look, I've saved you, you're not going to hell, you'll go to heaven when you die. I have forgiven you of all of your sins, but it's not going to help you while you're here. Until you die, you're going to be subject to the exact same temptations and trials and problems and difficulties. And uh, as much as I would like to, I really can't deliver you from the bondage of of alcohol, I, I, you know, you're going to have to live with that. You have to stay in the bar rooms. Uh, you know, you have to try to hold your marriage together. I'm glad that when God saved me, He changed me. And that's why I say that redemption procures our liberty. He delivers us from the bondage of sin. You see, while we have been saved already so far as eternal life is concerned. We've been saved in the sense that that God has forgiven us. We are being saved, in a manner of speaking, while we live here upon this earth. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, "...who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from what? Hell? Well, we're delivered from hell, but that's not what he says." that He might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. And then in chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, because of that, Christians sin because they choose to, not because they must. Before I was saved, I sinned because it was in my nature. And as much as I tried to deliver myself, as much as I, I, you know, tried to break free, I couldn't do it. 
I can't tell you the number of times that I told Bea, I said, look, I, I'm going to quit drinking. I, I can see what it's doing to our marriage. I, I know it's not right the way that I'm living. And, you know, and then I'd be gone two or three days. Not a clue. I just out on a, on another drunk somewhere, gone two or three days and then, you know, then come back in and it's same old, same old, please forgive me, you know, I, I won't do it again. Look, my intentions were good. I did not want to be the person I was. And, and, and yet with all of the resolve and the regret that I had in my heart, I couldn't break free from it. I, I, I couldn't. So many times we think of people that, whether they're alcoholics or drug addicts or whatever they are, we see them in a sinful lifestyle and we think to ourselves, you know, they've got nobody to blame but themselves. They don't have to do that. They choose to do that. They don't have to if they don't want to. And, and sometimes we Christians forget what it's like to be unsaved. The Bible says that of the unsaved, that they are taken captive of the devil at his will. I mean, they're like a puppet on a string, and they can't do what they want to do. They are living in slavery to Satan. But when the Lord saves us, you see, He delivers us. He gives us liberty. There's freedom in Christ. Now, none of us are perfect. We all sin, but we sin now because we choose to. It's not because we have to. We've been delivered, and the Lord Jesus Christ provides everything we need to live victoriously. But there are those occasions that because we're still in the flesh, and you see, even though we have a new nature, that's why he says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, behold, all things become new. We've got a new nature now, but the vestiges of the old flesh are still in us and will be until the day that we die. And that's why the Bible says, "...and the flesh lusteth against the Spirit." In other words, there's a warfare going on within us. But the wonderful thing is, is that victory is possible. You know, whenever I think about this, this evidence of God's love, and I think about the fact that God not only loved me, but God gave me life. And He not only gave me life, He provided me liberty. I, I feel like Paul did in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 9 and verse 15 where he made this statement, Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Whenever we partake of the Lord's Supper, and that will be in just a few weeks, I, you know, I, want to, I, I want to schedule in a time where as many people as possible can be here. We've got a holiday coming up, and we've got you know, people like you know, Brother Ron and Brother John, and people recovering from surgery. And I, you know, I don't want to be inconsiderate and just schedule it and say, well, if you can't be here, that's your own problem. And so uh, that, that's one of the reasons why you know, I've just not got it nailed down. But uh, anyway, within the next three or four weeks, we'll... we'll We'll be observing the Lord's Supper, and I hope when we go away that night that that thought will be on our mind. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Now, there's, and in one way this may not even tie in to what we're talking about tonight, but because of the time constraints, and this is the last message we're going to have in the series, I want to reemphasize what he says here in verse 28. And talk about it for just a second. He says, But let a man examine himself, 
And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Now, think about what Jesus did shortly before he instituted the Lord's Supper. Again, I was sitting there today and I was writing a different article, and this article had to do with serving. And, and, and I started out the, the article, and, you know, I, I, I shouldn't say these things. I know sometimes I'll start to tell Beth what I'm going to preach, and she'll say, shut up, I don't want to hear it. I want to wait. I want it to be a surprise. Don't tell me what you're going to preach. It ruins it for me. But, but anyway, it had to do, what would you, what would you do if you knew that this was the last day of your life? What, what would your bucket list be? You know, what would you want to do? You know what Jesus did? He washed dirty, stinking feet. Think about that. Let that sink in for a little while. In, in other words, Jesus gave himself in service to others. And whenever we think about the price that he paid, and we think about the, the, the results, in, in other words, what this means to us as the recipients of His grace, uh, we, we need to realize that we are a changed people because of that. And uh, as we sit down at the Lord's table, it ought to be after an, an honest examination of ourselves as to whether or not we partake of it in, in the proper Manner. Now, notice that this is an imperative, and that's why I'm bringing it up right here at the end of this series. It's an imperative. Let a man examine himself. I mean, there's, there's to be no question about it. This is something we've got to do. If we don't do this, then we're unfit to sit down at the Lord's table and observe the Lord's Supper. It's an imperative. Let a man examine himself. That word examine means to test or to prove himself. And let me tell you right now, you can't do that apart from God's God's help. You can't do that on your own because, you know, we generally figure out some way or another to put ourselves in the best possible light, don't we? You know, if we're doing it, we'll think, well, you know, yeah, none of us are perfect. You know, we're all human and... uh, you know, and, and, and you know, I'm better than so and so. We'll we'll figure out some way to deceive ourselves. So our attitude really ought to be like the psalmist over in Psalms 139, and maybe this is a verse that will uh, will help you to see your need of God's help as you examine yourself. And He says in verse number 23, "Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me." And know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We need what only the Spirit of God can provide as He turns the searchlight of His Word upon our heart. And all of a sudden, as He does that, we begin, we begin to see ourselves through God's eyes. And sometimes it's not a very pretty picture, is it? Think about it. You know, we sit down to read our Bible, and maybe we're feeling real good about ourselves, and we begin to read, and the Spirit of God takes the sword of the Spirit and plunges it into our heart, and then it begins to twist it and turn it and push it in a little bit deeper, and all of a sudden what we thought was going to be a pleasant experience is turned into something that is excruciating and painful. Uh, why? Because it's bringing us face to face with our 
shortcomings. And notice the reason for it there in verse 27 and verse number 29. Notice that word unworthily. And I mentioned before, he's not saying unworthy. We're all unworthy, unworthy, but he says unworthily. That speaks about the manner or the attitude in which we partake of the Lord's Supper. And there's three, at least three ways I can think of in which we can partake of the Lord's Supper in a fashion or a manner that is an unworthily manner. First of all, casual just to treat it as a common meal. In other words, without discerning its true meaning. And so it's no big deal, just a casual approach to it. And uh, I think that's what was going on at the church at Corinth, don't you? He said, well, you know, they've turned it into a fellowship supper, and, and you're really not even in fellowship with each other. Some of you have already eaten, you've already drank till you're full, and... The other people aren't even here yet, so there's total inconsideration for the other people. And, and this was a casual approach, and we don't want that. There's the careless approach, and that's, and that's for us to, to observe the Lord's Supper without regarding the proper elements or participants. And, and it goes back to following the pattern that God gave, and we can't vary from that. And so if we're careless about it, uh, then we're partaking of the Lord's Supper unworthily, uh, not in a manner that, that is in keeping with the great importance of it. And then there, there is the matter of carnality. So we can be casual, we can be careless, or we can be carnal, and that has to do with unconfessed sin in our life. And going back to what he says you know, here in, uh, in, in, in chapter number 11 about judging yourself. Verse 29, He that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh the damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And for this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened to the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. And so we ought to examine ourselves as to, as to the attitude of our heart and the actions of our life. And if there's unconfessed sin, then we need to confess that sin. You look back through the Bible and you think about uh, Nadab and Abihu when they offered strange fire up to God. And you think of Yuzah whenever he touched the ark of God, things that were forbidden by the Lord, and, and God sent his judgment upon them as a result of that. And if we sit down at the Lord's table in a casual manner or a careless manner or a carnal manner, it's like us just inviting the judgment of God upon our life. Not only should we think of the Lord's table as a time for thanksgiving, and I, I leave you with this thought. It ought to be a time of committal in our life. You think about a husband and a wife, you know, they commit themselves one to another. You think about a soldier committing himself to, uh, to his country. At the Lord's table, we are committing ourselves, as it were, to the cause of Christ. And, uh, and in, in doing so, recognizing what He has provided for us and, and it's an act of worship on our part as we pour out the gratitude of our heart 
for the greatness of the sacrifice that he made for us. So I'm going to ask you these next few weeks to really be much in prayer for some people. This will be the first time ever that they've observed the Lord's Supper. A lot of our new Christians, they've never observed the Lord's Supper before. I, I, I want you to be praying that it'll be, uh, that it'll be a, well, I don't even know how to word it. It'll be an experience that they will never forget. And for all of us, that it will be a time of worship on our part that we'll go away from here saying, Wow, what a great God we have that would love us and give us life and give us liberty, that we don't have to live crushed down and defeated, but that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. So, you be praying that that'll happen. I don't know uh, where we'll go from here so far as the series, but I'll be starting a new series on Wednesday night, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know in the next week or two what that'll be. And so, uh, keep praying for our study in Revelation on Sunday night, of course, and uh, all of our services that we'll continue to see souls saved and people baptized and added to the church. Anyone have a final word before we leave? Uh, uh, anything on your heart, whether it's uh, something we forgot about or an announcement you need to make or a question or anything whatsoever? All right. Well, yes, Belinda. Four. All right. You, all right. Amen.